0: What is diversity? Well, this is a definition from Webster. Diversity is the condition of having or being composed of differing elements. Here we go. Diversity is the condition of having or being composed of differing elements. And as I said, this is something that uh, the apostles valued very highly. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many... Are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If you're familiar with this passage in First Corinthians, Paul goes on. This is all talking about spiritual gifts, isn't it? And that there is not one spiritual gift; there are a diversity of spiritual gifts, and that is for the church's good and for the glory of God. That there's not just one kind of person with one kind of gifts in the church, but there are many that are one, okay? So it's unity in that diversity. And as I said, this is primarily about spiritual gifts, but isn't this fascinating? Verse 13, what does he go into? Jews or Greeks, slaves or free? So he's talking about spiritual gifts, but he's bringing out again that ethnic diversity and the socioeconomic diversity that is in the church. That diversity has come into the church too. So there's many members from many backgrounds with many gifts, all one in Christ. But the whole point of 1 Corinthians 12 is that the diversity is what matters. If everybody was an I, if everybody was trying to be an I, then where would the sense of hearing be? That it's in the diversity of the church that we grow, we're healthy, and that we glorify God. And so you say, well, wait, 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 wait. what about that verse in Galatians 3 that we looked at, where it says that the, those differences have gone away, that there is no Jew or Greek, there's no uh, Jew or Gentile, there's no slave or free, there's no man or woman. Well, let's look again at those verses. So this is Galatians chapter 3. I can't do it here. Can somebody scoot the the slide up for me. Thank you, Paula. Galatians chapter 3. So these are the verses that we read before. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ. Or again, Colossians 3.11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in So what he's saying here when he says there's no Jew or Greek is not that the differences went away. He's saying that the divisions went away. You hear that? It's not that the differences went away. Well, how do we know that? Well, let's use another example in that list. What about male and female? When we come into the church, does that difference of your being male or female go away when you come into the church? Even in the roles that we have in the family... And in pastoral ministry, do those differences, those meaningful differences between male and female go away? No. We're a complementarian church. And so you come in, and there's no division between male or female, but there is differences between male and female in the church. Or again, slave or free. Okay, this is referring to different uh, economic statuses. Okay, so we'll, we'll just set that issue, the differences between... American chattel slavery and Roman slavery. Okay, so we'll just say somebody that is a servant, very uh, lower class economically, and then somebody that is free, that is higher class, middle to upper class economically. Well, just because you became a Christian, that doesn't mean that those differences went away. The rich people still have the money that they came into the church. The poor people still have less money when they come into the church. And, and Paul nowhere is advocating that that needs to go away that we need to take all the money from the rich people and give it to the poor people so that there are no rich or poor. No, we see it in lots of other places that there is special instruction for how the rich people in the church are to act because they're still rich and how the poor people in the church are to act because they're still poor, okay? That those differences maintain, but the division goes away. And so it is with these ethnic divisions. And so what I'm trying to get at is that when somebody comes into the church from whatever their ethnic background is, it doesn't go away, But in fact, they bring it into the church for the glory of God. Whatever your cultural background is, whatever your racial background is, whatever your socioeconomic background is, whatever your individual life story is, you come into the church, you bring that into the church. You bring the burdens that come from that into the church. Okay, think of someone, an individual that was abused when they were younger well, they come into the church, they're still dealing with the burdens of that, that sin that was done to them when they came into the church. And the church comes, becomes a place where that person with their unique burden is cared for in the church. Okay? Or you think of somebody that comes in with a lot of uh, really helpful skills. They come into the church and they use their skills for the building up of the church, for the help of the church. So all of these people are bringing their backgrounds into the church. Now the divisions that those backgrounds caused went away. And also the primary or the ultimate identity that they have has changed. So where before you came into the church, maybe your primary identity was, I'm somebody that was abused. Before you came into the church, maybe your primary identity was, I'm really successful in my business. But when you come into the church, your primary identity changes. What's your primary identity? Christ. You're in Christ. Okay, But those other things are still about you. And so we want to care for you if that's something that you need to be cared for. And we want to use the strengths and the the positive things that you're bringing in for the glory of God. I think this is what is happening in Revelation chapter 7. So Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, again, he sees a vision of a multitude that no one could number from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And so what I want to highlight in that is this is a vision of heaven. This is a vision of the new heavens and the new earth, ultimately. This is where we're all going, and people are speaking different languages. So the culture that they had here on earth persists into eternity, that they still have their language. They still have their culture in the new heavens and the new earth, and God wants them to sing in all of the different languages. I want your culture to come into eternity and glorify me in a way that your culture uniquely can, that I blessed your culture uniquely to honor me with. Revelation 21-26, this is a vision of the new Jerusalem. They will bring into the city the glory and the honor of the nations. So go back to our story, okay? God's reconciling the nations together in the new heavens, in the new earth. All of the nations, all of these people that have been brought in, they're bringing the things about their nations that are glorious and honorable, And they're laying them at the feet of the Messiah. Okay, but they're distinct in that. Think about glorious things about other nations. Think about glorious things about other ethnicities. Okay, think of Russian literature. Okay, Russian saints are coming into the new heavens and the new earth, and they're laying Dostoevsky down at the Messiah's feet. Be glorified. We've done this for you. Okay, you think about um, certain kinds of African music. Okay, it's glorious. It's distinct. And they're coming in and they're going to play their drums for the glory of Messiah. Okay, Latin dance. They're going to come in and they're going to do their beautiful dances for the glory of... Thai food. <laughs> there will be Thai food in the New Jerusalem. And it will be better for it. Imagine the New Jerusalem without Thai food. Right? Because these are glorious, honorable things. That are coming in and they're, and they're all serving the purpose of praising the land that was slain. And friends, the church is a foretaste of that. The church is a little embassy of heaven. It's a little community of heavenly um, citizens in earth now. And so to, to the extent that we can, we want, we want those heavenly realities to be manifest in our communities Now. We want these communities to be places where all of the wealth and glory and honor of the nations is already being brought in and is already being used to glorify Messiah. That's a right goal for us. It's a right goal for us in anything to think about what heaven's going to be like and try to do more of that now. That's what Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So we would, be, we would do well to consider what heaven is going to be like and try to do it more here. This is, the whole, this is a major theme in the book of Philippians. Behave as citizens worthy of heaven. Be heavenly citizens on earth. So that, why? So that people outside of the church look in at the church and they see little bits of heaven. And then they say, I want that. Well, What's that about? This is, this is so glorious. This is so beautiful. This is so different from what I'm used to out here in this fallen world. I come in here and I get a little glimpse of eternity and all the beautiful things. And so we should try and make our churches in as much as we're able. Nobody's going to be perfect at this until the end comes. We don't need to overrealize realize this. And as much as we can, we want our churches to reflect those heavenly realities. And as Revelation says, a, a major component of heaven is glorious diversity, cultural diversity. Diversity. And so it's right for us as a church to long for this. I think it is especially right for us as a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It would would be a very different conversation if we were like a very, very small rural church in Kansas to say we need to pursue more cultural diversity in rural Kansas. That's going to be a little harder. We're going to long a lot more for heaven. And I don't even know if you can get good Thai food in Kansas right now. Okay? But, I'm sorry if you're from Kansas. I'm not trying to be mean. That was some ethnic pride there, uh, but Albuquerque is a diverse city already. You know, I had somebody somebody else was just was just talking to me about this because I grew up in the South. Okay, so you know, talk about a racialized society. We could see this stuff. There were still in the in the, the town that I went to college in, you could there were still places where there were two water fountains weirdly next to each other. Like why did you need two there? Oh yeah. Okay. It's just New Mexico missed that. Praise God. Right? New Mexico is a place that's already very multicultural. I mean part of what Albuquerque is is because it's diverse. It's not, you know, one Predominant culture—it's—it's it's lots of different cultures working together. So if that's already what our society is like, how much more should our church be? This, we, what I'm saying is, we want to be out ahead of the world in terms of reconciliation. We want to be out ahead of the world in terms of our of our diversity and our love for one another and the way that it glorifies God. We want to be out ahead, and this has just been a burning passion for me. As as you you know, and I know we're all we are all way too saturated in the news and in the media, we all know what people are saying out in the world about how much racial division there is and how bad everything is and how much, you know, and some of that, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's all to be discredited, okay, that people are responding to things that, that are true, that they're really feeling, but what I want so much church, even just Desert Springs Church, is for that narrative to exist out there in the world and then somebody to come into our doors and for our church to blow up that narrative. I want people to come into our church and see people that the world's narrative says they should hate each other. That's, a, that's an impressor and an oppressed person there. And they say, well, no, they're just part of a Bible study. And they have their differences, but they're one in Christ. I want people to come into our church with, with these lenses that say how bad the world is, and then they come into our church and they see heaven and how we love each other. That's what I want. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I've got seven things, seven ways that we can pursue diversity. So the first is, how do we pursue diversity? We pursue evangelism. We pursue evangelism. Again, you guys didn't know you were coming to a mission seminar. Diversity is not the goal. Don't hear me say that. Diversity is not the goal in the church. I think that's, that's a part of the problem. You know, a lot of businesses now, you kind of hear their mission statement, and like their whole point is to just be diverse. That's Again, that's kind of silly. What is the mission of the church? It's not to be diverse. The mission of the church is to make disciples. Make disciples of who? All the nations. So this is what we got to do, church, is we got to make disciples. we got to go out, and we got to preach that ministry of reconciliation. We've got to go to the people that are separated from God and say, come in. But as we're doing evangelism, I hope that we're not only evangelizing, evangelizing the people that are just like us. That wouldn't really be obeying the Great Commission to go to all the nations, I mean, I hope you're sharing the gospel at all, but if you're sharing the gospel, let's be challenged to to not let there be pockets of our neighbors that we don't go and tell about Jesus. And if we are doing this more and more, if we are a church that wants to share the gospel and we'll share it with anybody and everybody, there's not a dividing wall from whom we will tell about Jesus, and we tell everybody about Jesus, and God, who is in charge of salvation, grants us success I pray that as we go out into our city and we go out to the ends of the world and we share the gospel that people are saved and they come in and they're going to be different from each other. If we're doing a good job of sharing the gospel in Albuquerque, our church is going to look like Albuquerque. It's going to look diverse because this is a diverse city. So we pursue diversity not as an end in itself. We pursue evangelism, and that ought to lead to diversity. And let me, you know, this is as good a time as any to say We have already decided as elders, right? Remember, 2021, our focus has been on prayer, okay? We've been implementing prayer, and and that's been 2021, the year of prayer. 2022, the year of evangelism for Desert Springs Church. And we're going to help you and and, and train you and create more opportunities for evangelism because that's what we want is people saved, amen? And if we're doing that well, well, people are going to be saved from every tribe and tongue of people and nation, even in our own city. So along with that, we pursue diversity, number two, by pursuing prayer. Again, with evangelism, that's entirely dependent on God's grace. So we think of Luke chapter 10. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in thanksgiving, and pray that God may open to us a door of the word. So we're going to pursue evangelism in our church by praying for success in our evangelism. And in that, we pray that God would open up doors all over our city to diverse people. And I think it is right to pray, God, make our church look more like heaven. In all of these different ways, diversity being one of them. Number three, how do we pursue diversity? We pursue unity. So when God saves people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, like I said, there's going to be room for those old divisions that come in. And just think about this with uh, Colossians 3.11, we have Jews, Greeks, barbarians, and Scythians, okay? Um, And this is from an, an exercise that Thaddeus Williams did, but he says, consider one of these early churches, okay? You've got a Roman citizen whose dad was killed in a Jewish uprising in Palestine. And then you've got a Jewish Christian who's mad because his people have been oppressed by the Romans for hundreds of years. And so he sees this Roman man, Roman man sitting across from him, and he says, this is the guy. He's part of the, of the empire that has been colonizing my people for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then you've got a barbarian. Do you know why they're called barbarians? Barbar, bar-bar is Greek for blah, blah. The Greeks called them barbarians in, in a derogatory way because they thought they were uncultured. Because they didn't speak speak Greek. So they just come in and they just view these people as less than, culturally, these barbarians. Well, now you've got a barbarian right here. And the Scythians were nomadic warlords. They were like terrifying. They would kill people all the time. And all four of these people are sitting down at the Lord's Supper. One in Christ. And they're going to have those hang-ups. They're going to have those those old um, views of one another. But what are they taught to do? They're taught to pursue unity. Just think about this verse, these verses, in light of that ethnic tension that they would be bringing into the church. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're going to have divisions, we're going to have reasons that we're bringing in, not just ethnic reasons. All kinds of reasons that we might uh, be hostile towards other people. But God has commanded us to pursue unity and patience and humility. So how do we do that? Well, this is number four. We pursue fellowship. By fellowship, I mean participation in life with one another. Being together with Other people. Romans 15, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We are a family in Christ, and families spend time together. Now, we're a really big family. This church is a really, really big family. But we need to be in each other's lives. We need to welcome one another. And so this is practically for for you, Desert Springs Church. It is easy in a church this big to really only extend your welcomes. Because you only have so much time in a week. To only extend your welcomes to people that you're very comfortable with. To people that are very similar to you. Not just ethnically. People that are very similar to you in your season of life. You're married or you're single, you have kids, people that are very uh, similar to you in your educational background, that are similar to you in your ethnic background, okay? And it's just easy. You only have so much time. You say, I'm gonna invite these people over into my house because they're just easy to have over. We're in the same circles all the time. But I would challenge you, church, to pursue diverse fellowships. Look around at people that are different from you and extend the welcome to them. I think that's a picture of the gospel because this is welcome one another as God has welcomed you. We're really different from God, and God welcomed us to His table. So look around, okay, and say, "Hey, I haven't met you before. Okay, can you can you come in?" One of the things that I love about the church, and that I I realized this years ago, and it just every time it happens, I get so um, I just praise God for this. Is when I'm sitting down out in public at lunch or a coffee. With somebody and i just kind of step out of my head for a second and i think what does this look like to people outside but i'm sitting down and, and you know sometimes i sit down with people that are very similar to me but a lot of times i'll be sitting down at lunch with somebody that's just totally different from me and notice this next time you're at a restaurant that doesn't happen next time you're at a coffee shop look around at the people who are meeting together they're usually similar to each other similar age They're dressed the same way. They talk the same way. But I love it when I'm sitting down. Like I I remember one time I was in a coffee shop. This happened here. I was in a coffee shop. I'm wearing like t-shirts and shorts. And I'm meeting with a guy in like the nicest suit I've ever seen. Because he came from his job. And I'm just like, what is this? What do they think is happening right now? But we're brothers in Christ. And we're just having the, the, the sweetest fellowship together. And I was blessed so much because he's not like me. There was so much he knew that I didn't know that I was just so helped by. When I meet with somebody that's like way older than me, I meet with somebody that, you know, I I met with a guy that uh, was very blue collar worker guy. He came in with a hard hat and we sat down and ate lunch together. And I'm, you know, me. (laughs) And I was like, what is going on? I love that. That's the church. That people who otherwise have nothing in common with each other, should have nothing to do with each other, are pursuing time with each other, are pursuing relationships with each other. That's a picture of the gospel. And the more we do that and the more we build those relationships, the more we're bringing that heavenly reality to bear. And when you do that, here's what you should be doing. As you're going out and pursuing those diverse relationships, number five, pursue listening and understanding. James 1.19. This is just always good to remember in any context. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Listen. As you go out and you're inviting people into your home, you're going to get coffees, you're, um, whatever it is with people that are different from you, listen to them. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your upbringing tell me where you're from tell me about how this was like what this was like for you especially the things where you're different and i'm not i've never been to that country where you're from tell me what that's like i want to i want to hear about that listen and then listen really listen especially if they're saying things that maybe are challenging to you things that that maybe they've seen that you're not seeing that you might be tempted to Respond to defensively. Listen, listen, and try to understand. This is this is what active listening is. Active listening. You hear someone talking, and you can say back to them what they said in a way that they say, "Yeah, that's what I said." You can say it back to them in your own words. You're saying this now, and they say, "Yeah, that's a fair assessment of what I just said." You're not just hearing. Okay, you know uh, that I. You know you said institutional sin. You mean this Marxist? No, that's not active listening. Let's. Do you mean you're saying this yes that's active listening so we should pursue active listening and let me say let me say this too albuquerque is a slightly different context for this but still if you are a member of a predominant culture ethnically socioeconomically whatever that is if you if you're a part of a culture that seems to have more a majority of the population or more influence in the population and you're meeting with somebody from a minority culture, okay, that's different from you, let me encourage you, brothers or sisters from the majority culture, to kind of lead out in listening, to lead out in asking questions. Okay, because as it, and you can talk to people from minority cultures in this, they have to be experts in both the minority culture and the majority culture. Because they live in the majority culture, and then they go back home to their minority culture. People in the majority culture don't need to know a thing about the people in the minority culture in order to get by in life. And so there's a lot more learning that people from the majority culture can do towards people in the minority culture. And you could say this in the same way, men Okay, men being, being male in our culture, and it's not a bad thing, this is just how it works, but we have a bit more power and influence, and so even in that, it would be wiser for us to say, hey, I want to ask more questions of women and listen to your experience, because I don't have to know what that's like, okay, where women have to exist, that's just, I'm using that as an example, okay, but, but people from the majority culture, it would be wise and loving for you to lead out in Being listening and asking questions and trying to understand. And as you do that, remember Romans 12, 15, too. This is for everybody. As you're learning about people, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So as you're getting to learn about people and their backgrounds and where they're coming from, you might hear some things that are great and glorious. Rejoice with them in that. If it seems like something that they're really excited about, enter into them with that, even if you don't quite understand what it is that they're so excited about. And again, if somebody comes in with, with hurts... And wounds, and they're sharing that with you. Weep with them. Let them know that you're you're hearing that and you're you're with them in that, you're feeling that. In all of this, too, we pursue humility and patience. So this is number six. Ecclesiastes seven: nine. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And first Corinthians 13: love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. That means it keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, so as you're having these conversations again, you think about the Jew or the Greek with all the reason to have beef against each other. That we should be humble and patient. And so now I'm going to say this to people from minority communities. Or uh, even people of color that are coming in with your own hurts and experiences from the past. Please be patient. Please be humble. Okay? And it might even uh, be a little uncomfortable. You know, I, had a, <laughs> um, I, was, I was from a church that, that really pursued diversity very, very well. And so we would have kind of messages like this every so often, just a hey, a reminder, go get lunch with somebody that's different from you. And I and I had a, a friend; he was a black friend, and he says, "Oh, it's ask your black friend to lunch day again." <laughs> and he had a great spirit about it. He could have every reason to get frustrated about that and say, "Man, here it he goes again. I'm going to have to do this again. I'm going to have to have an awkward conversation where they're asking me ignorant questions again." But he didn't. He had a great heart about it. He was humble. And he was patient. And he saw that as a way that he could minister to his brothers and sisters and pursue that diversity. But let me encourage you to be patient and humble. And lastly, we pursue diversity by pursuing restoration and forgiveness. So, again, think of those Jews and the Greeks, the Scythians and the barbarians. They came in with hurts. And part of their pursuing unity and the bond of peace and listening, fellowshipping, getting to know each other was sometimes those hurts just needed to be addressed. And that's what the church is we don't hold on to our hurts no matter how legitimate they are we do not hold on to our hurts we pursue restoration and forgiveness so if you're somebody that you feel like you have been sinned against even for sins of um, for ethnic reasons okay you can't hold on to that don't let don't let your sin and unforgiveness become your new identity okay Seek forgiveness and restoration, whatever that looks like. We think of Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And Ephesians 4, 31, 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives you. Okay, remember, there's nobody more different from you than you are from God. And God received you and forgave you. Think of all of the, the sins that you sinned against God. He received you and forgave you completely. We don't hold on to sin and unforgiveness towards others. It doesn't mean that we let injustices slide. It doesn't mean that we um, put ourselves in a position to be hurt again. But we are trying with everything that we have to pursue restoration. Well, there's a lot more that we could say about that. If you have questions, uh, please bring them to me. But I want to finish this uh, last section in part three, and we'll talk about justice. And if you've noticed up to this point, okay, we've spent all of our time talking about reconciliation, the gospel, what it looks like on the ground in the church to talk about these things and live these things out. I haven't spent much time at all talking about what's happening out there different views of justice, politics, all of these things, and that's by design. What matters most is our hope in the gospel. What matters most is our reconciliation in the church and living that out. And I really believe that if we just stopped right here, we would be 80% of the way there. Okay, there may be stuff that comes up, you know, questions out there that we don't have answers to, but for the most part, if we are living out reconciliation here and we're trying to pursue God then I think these, these other issues out in the world would, would really be solved. And so let me encourage you in that. If, if you are kind of in the inverse, if you were coming here and the thing that you were most excited about was talking about justice and social justice and what's wrong with social justice or what's right about social justice, if that was the thing that you were fired up about and not our reconciliation in Christ and what it means to pursue that with a God-glorifying heavenly diversity, then you got your wires crossed. Okay, so if you're really fired up about social justice stuff and you want to argue about Marxism all the time, why don't you go share the gospel with somebody? Why don't you go get lunch with somebody that's different from you? Why don't you, why don't you put your efforts in these more important things? not saying these aren't important, but this is most important. Don't get your wires crossed. So lastly, we're going to talk about justice. We're going to ask this question, what is justice? And let me just remind you that this question, what is justice, this is actually one of the oldest philosophical questions in human history. There have been untold numbers of books written about what is justice. This is a hard question. This is a big life question. Both what does it mean to be a just person, and then what does it mean to organize a just society? There have been all kinds of debate about this, even between Christians for hundreds of years. What is justice? Is it deceptively simple question, and I'm not going to give you a deceptively simple answer. Thaddeus Williams talks about, uh, he calls it fast food knowledge. Fast food knowledge. And he says that um, in in our age, especially younger people, we want finding the answers to life's big questions to be as simple as going and picking up a Big Mac. You know, or just like Google, you know, Google, what is justice? And the first result, oh, there it is, great, that was easy. Or coming to a seminar, and the guy tells you. It's like picking up a Big Mac. That's not how you get the answers to life's big questions. Life's big questions are complicated. They require hard work. They require nuance. They require study. They require debate, reflection. Okay, so it's, it's different in the way that getting a Big Mac is different from having a home-cooked meal. This one takes a lot more work, but which one's better? Especially if it's Thai food. <laughs> so I'm not going to give you a Big Mac to answer the question, What is justice? I'm going to give you some kitchen utensils okay, to help you try to answer this big question. I'm going to give you some questions that you can go out and ask that you can sit down and, and talk about this together. Because it's that, it's that Big Mac knowledge, that fast food knowledge that I think the world is looking for. It was why Marxism was so appealing to me. That's Big Mac knowledge. Everybody's selfish. Take the money away from the rich people, give it to the poor people. Easy. Okay? But this is harder. This is what we need to be looking for. So here is uh, one of the ways that I want to help you is I want to give you this diagram. These are our kitchen utensils. And you see that we do talk about justice here, but I've got two other categories. And like any good vi- Venn diagram, we want to be right there in the middle of these three things. So this is what I'm holding out to you is we are asking, What is justice? I think for us and our purposes, we're we're wise to not only think about what is justice, but how does it relate to these other two things, faithfulness and mercy, and how am I doing in all three? And how is this view that I'm taking relating to all three of these? And if you're wondering where I got these three circles from, I actually got it from Jesus. So Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are they? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is concerned with justice, saying you need to do justice, and we're going to define what justice is. But he says you can't unhitch justice from these other two things, faithfulness and mercy. And it's actually really similar to a very famous verse that gets cited on this from the book of Micah. Chapter 6, Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, which I think is parallel to mercy, what Jesus says, and to walk humbly with your God, which I think is parallel to faithfulness, what Jesus says. I think these are parallel because both of these verses come in context where Micah and Jesus are engaging with religious hypocrites. And they're saying, yeah, justice, do justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. Okay? And that's not to say that you, we can't just think of justice by itself, but I think in our own age, it would be wise for us to step back from just talking about justice and think about these other two as well, and try to strive to embody and understand all three of these together. And the reason that that is is because I think sometimes when people are talking about justice, either what they really mean is one of these other things, and they're, and they're using their definitions wrong, or... They're talking about justice and it's at the expense of these other two things. And so I think, Jesus, I think that you know, we should be called to try and think about these th- things all together. And rather than start with justice, I want to start with faithfulness. So faithfulness asks the question, what are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? So here's a definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is rightly worshiping The one true creator, God, as he has revealed himself in the Bible. So we want to start with this, understanding and embodying this. Are we rightly worshiping God? And are we rightly worshiping God as he has revealed himself in his book? So when we're having these discussions and these things, is this just sitting over here and you're just spouting off your own opinions? Or are you walking humbly with your God, which means that you're doing this? You're trying to everything, all of these views that that you have are coming out of this. And are you rightly worshiping God or are you worshiping something else? This is another good uh, quote from Thaddeus Williams Does our vision of social justice make a false God out of the self, the state, or social acceptance? And now, if you go buy his book, which again I highly recommend, he has a very full length treatment of those three ideas the self, the state, and social acceptance. So I'm not going to get into that here, but he does just, that's a question as he's engaging with other people, as you're engaging with somebody, hey, you've got this vision of justice, this vision of social justice, and we can talk about what that means, but this vision of justice, but are you sure that that vision of justice is not actually making an idol of something that's not God? Is it making an idol of yourself? Is it making an idol of the state, of the government? Is it making an idol of just being accepted by other people. So we're striving for faithfulness. We don't want idols to come in that influence our views of justice. We want to be faithful according to God's word. And as long as we're doing that, then we remember this exercise called theological triage. And if you've been in some of the other stuff that I've taught recently, you're like, "Man, this guy never shuts up about theological triage." <laughs> because it's really important. I think this might be the like single most important thing that we need to reclaim or claim as a church right now remember a theological triage that theological issues are not all equal in essence and they're not all equally clearly taught in Scripture and so we have first-level issues issues that are essential to Christianity you cannot be a Christian and think or do differently than these first-level issues. And then we have second-level issues. That really pertains to things that separate denominations and churches, so things like uh, whether or not you'll baptize only believers or infants. But then there are third-level issues. Let me re- re- read this to you. Third-level issues are disputable matters, or matters of conscience and wisdom. These issues may be tremendously important, but not rise to the level of saying a Christian must Or a Christian cannot hold this view. And I would argue that our list of essential issues, first level issues, needs to be as short as possible. Okay, We only want to make first level issues things that the Bible is emphatically clear about. And the problem is, and this is kind of an evangelical culture right now, is we want to make everything a first-level issue. We want to make everything a Christian must or a Christian cannot. But the Bible is very clear about those things that we must, must be in agreement on. And we need a lot more room for third-level issues or matters where we can disagree and still be Christians together. Does that make sense? So when we're engaging in these things, this is, why this, this is why this matters, so we can go back to our diagram. When we're engaging in these matters and say, I've changed it just to remind you, this theological triage, when we're talking to people, really resist that temptation to make whatever this thing is that you're debating about a Christian must thing. Okay? And, and this comes in in different kinds of ways. Sometimes people will say, no, this, this is a gospel issue. Well, if something's a gospel issue, that sounds like a first-order issue to me. So you're saying this view on police reform is a gospel issue. So if I disagree with you, I'm not, an, I'm, I'm not in the church anymore. I'm not a Christian anymore. That is that is unhelpful, hypercharged language. Or at the same time, when you say a Christian cannot vote this way, cannot at all, and be a Christian, you're really prepared to say that. Or can we turn the volume down a little bit and say this is a third-order issue? Now, here's the thing. You can be wrong about third-order issues. I was. Anybody else been wrong before? Okay? You can be wrong, but wrong does not mean not Christian on things that aren't essential. And if we can reclaim that, we will talk so much more productively about this stuff. So remembering theological triage. And the whole point that I'm bringing this up is that when you're debating with somebody... You're just asking, am I being faithful? Am I trying to worship God? Am I trying to humbly walk before my God with my Bible open? And that's what's led me to this position. Is this person that I'm sitting across the table from who disagrees with me, are they walking humbly with their God? Are we in agreement on those essential things? And they're trying to reason with me with their Bible open? Well, then this is all just a matter of conscience. And there's room to disagree in conscience we could look at Romans 14. For the sake of time, we'll move ahead. But Romans 14 would be good for you to go and read. It's all about how we relate to people who we disagree with. And he says, don't quarrel. Don't quarrel about stuff that's not essential. Don't put stumbling blocks in the way of people that uh, you have been reconciled with. So um, we'll go back. Okay, we'll look at this, this three-circle diagram again. So we've described faithfulness. Now I do want to talk about justice this red circle what is justice okay and i know i said that that's the um oldest one of the oldest philosophical questions and so i can't give you a really really uh robust answer to that there's a lot of complexity in this but but the bible does have a lot to say about justice justice is a word if you read the bible justice is a word that comes up over and over and over again in the bible And so two, maybe that gives us a little bit of charity towards um, Christians like I was that were super fired up about justice because you see the word justice all over in the Bible. But the word uh, that I have adopted that means justice is not actually what the Bible means by justice, okay? So you can't be too hard on somebody that's fired up about justice because it's all over the Bible. But we need to really let the Bible tell us what justice is. Now, again, just for the sake of time, I'll only kind of cruise through this. There's different words that the, Bible's, that the Bible uses in the Old and New Testament to describe justice. In the Old Testament, you have the word mishpat, which is translated justice, which means like a right administration. It means right discernment. Okay, so like Solomon was making good judgments. Okay, so that's that word. And then you have the word righteousness. And righteousness really means doing what is right. Okay? And it's right according to what? To, according to God's moral standard. And so these are two words that are very big in um, the Old Testament. Especially righteousness means being a right person, okay? living rightly in the world. But that righteousness extends to how we relate to other people. And actually what's really interesting is that in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, these two words are often put together like this. They're linked together together in their own little phrase. So you look, and you read through the Old Testament, and you'll see justice and righteousness, justice and righteousness, justice and righteousness. That happens a lot. And a lot of scholars think that actually when those words are used together, it has a slightly different meaning than either of these two words used by themselves. And the closest translation of that uh, that people have come up with is this idea of social justice. Okay? Now don't get scared that I said social justice. Okay? Uh, Here's a good quote from Thaddeus Williams. He says, social justice is not optional for the Christian. Keep in mind, his whole book is a critique of the modern social justice movement, okay? But he says, social justice is not optional for the Christian. What justice isn't social for that matter? God designed us as social creatures made for community, not loners designed to live on deserted islands or staring solo at glowing screens all day. All injustice affects others. So talking justice that isn't social is like talking about water that isn't wet or a square with no right angles. So actually in his book, he just has two different kinds of social justice. He calls it social justice A and social justice B. And I can't remember which one is which. Anybody? Karen, you remember social justice A might be the world's definition of social justice? Other way. Social justice A... Social justice B, we'll start there, is the world's, when they use that word, when they say social justice, they're importing certain ideas and expectations and outcomes into that idea. And he says that's not the Bible's vision of social justice, but there is social justice A, which is the Bible's vision of social justice because justice is social. If you were alone by yourself, you could not be a just person because justice has so much to do with how we relate to other people. And that's how justice and righteousness in the Old Testament is used. This is justice as it pertains to our social relationships and even how we structure our society. So that's how the Old Testament talks about it. Uh, The New Testament has um, some related words. So in the Greek... Uh, they brought over Croesus, which kind of gets at that idea of uh, right, administration, and justice sense. It actually has to do, too, with, with judging, judging rightly other people. Okay, so making those uh, right judgments about other people. And then the big word that comes out in the New Testament is um, dikayasune, which is tricky because in the New Testament it's sometimes translated righteousness, and sometimes it's translated justice. And then there's all of these related words that come out of this word family, the biggest one being the word justified. So when we talk about being justified, it's this word that also means righteousness. And so some people have even tried to like come up with a new word like righteous by God, that through Christ we are righteous by faith. Uh, It doesn't work, but that's the idea is righteousness. And so it's a righteousness that has God as the source and the standard by which God judges ultimately through Jesus Christ. And so from these ideas, let me just give you, this is a simple definition of justice. This won't hold a lot of water, but it'll work for what we're doing right now. Justice is giving to someone what they deserve. Really simple definition of justice. Justice is giving to someone what they deserve. And this begins vertically with God. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. God's due glory. I love this quote, the single greatest injustice in human history, indeed in the history of the universe, is that God does not receive the worship he is due. That's the greatest injustice in the world, our not worshiping God rightly. God deserves our worship, and because we have not worshiped God rightly, what do we deserve? His wrath. That's justice. God would be just to pour out his wrath on us for not doing to him what he deserves, giving him worship. And the gospel is that God justly poured out his righteous wrath on a substitute, his son, so that we could be justified, that we could have that right standing with God restored through that punishment being poured out. So we could read Romans chapter 3. And I won't read this whole quote, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 26, but we see that this is at the end, that God justified us. We go to the next slide. He might show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we justly deserve God's wrath. Jesus did not deserve wrath but offered himself as a substitute so that the wrath could be justly atoned for on the cross and we could be justified with God. That's the gospel. It's a gospel of justice and that right justice being poured out. But here's the amazing thing about the the gospel is that when we are justified, when we are righteous with God, then the Holy Spirit begins to transform us so that we would act righteously towards other people, that we would live out justly in this way and so we can give an expanded definition now of the word justice kind of in light of the gospel justice is giving to someone what they deserve first to god as creator and savior and then to others as human beings made in the image of god and in accordance with god's law that's a better definition of justice i think that's still a big mac definition of justice so don't uh Don't put too much, don't try to hang too much on that peg, but this is a good starting point. But again, see, it comes back to what does someone deserve as someone made in the image of God? And I want to make this note, I think this is really helpful as you go out and you have these conversations, and I'm going to get, this is the most technical, philosophically I will get with you, I hope, is to remember that justice has both what's called a formal principle and a material principle. So the formal principle is is this statement. It's a simple statement. Justice is giving to someone what they deserve. The material principle asks, deserve according to what? How do we decide what someone deserves? The material principle of justice applies, tries to apply that formal principle in the complex and different ways in our life. And I think this is where we get off a lot of times in these conversations, is we are using the formal principle not recognizing that we might have different material definitions. So here's just kind of a helpful list. When we say justice is giving to, what someone, that, giving to someone what they deserve. Sorry, well, I'm, I'm going to be right here. Justice is giving to someone what they deserve, first to God as creator and savior, then to others as human beings made in the image of God and in accordance with God's law. So we give to someone what they deserve depending on merit. They earned this. Or do we give to someone what they deserved, depending on the effort that they put forward, regardless of how they did? Do we give to someone what they deserve depending on their needs? Do we give to someone what they deserve depending on their free market value? Do we give to someone what they deserve depending on productivity to society? Do we give to someone what they deserve depending on their level of participation? Do we give to someone what they deserve such that the outcome is equal to everyone else? These are all material questions about the formal principle of justice. And so when somebody says this is justice, you have that now in your tool belt to say, okay, let's talk about the material principle of that statement that you just made. You say this is what somebody deserves, but deserves according to what? Why is that what they deserve? And I would say, I would argue that the material principle, it does apply differently. So think about a teacher, right? A good teacher sometimes gives to her students a grade according to their merit, and sometimes she gives a grade according to their effort. And those are two different things. And sometimes we're glad when a teacher does that. Okay? That that's actually just in that situation, for that reason, for that purpose. okay? And so all, all I'm trying to say is when you're talking about justice, it's complicated. Don't get mad at each other that it's complicated. Talk longer. Ask more questions about it. Okay, but I do want to give you just some key principles about justice so that we can uh, – these are biblical principles – so that when we are talking about justice, we're not using wrong definitions of justice to just as a starting point. So when you read the Bible, you will see that justice has a lot to do with rights and punishment. Rights and punishment. So to do justice in the Old Testament especially is to preserve the rights of image bearers. Now you ask, what is someone's rights? What are the rights of a person? Okay? And, and we need to resist here the temptation to make everything a right. This happens a lot in our cultures. We make lots of things rights. You know, I heard somebody say that free internet was a right. Really? I mean, we can talk about the material principle, but you're going to say that's, that's something that someone deserves such that they don't have internet and I'm committing an injustice against them? Now, I understand what you're saying. It's important to have internet. It would be good if we could give somebody free internet, but is that a right? And so what does someone deserve and deserve based on what? For sure in the Bible, you see that people have a, li- a right to life, you can't kill somebody or hurt somebody. Uh, they have a right to their freedom. You can't steal people and make them slaves. Um, they have a right to their property. You can't steal from other people. Okay. I think it would. Uh, you could argue that people have a right to some basic subsistence, in the Old Testament at least, the way the law was set up, that people had to have food. And so there was some level in that where people were entitled to getting food from other people. So we can talk about what those different rights are, but... But biblical justice is protecting people's rights so that they're not trampled on. Also, within the community of faith, justice is concerned with discerning between righteousness and sinfulness. So we honor what is good and right, and we discipline what is sinful. That's justice. And then with punishment, those that violate the rights of others are held accountable through proportionate, material, or corporeal punishment. Okay? So if somebody does something wrong, you make it right. And a just society enforces that. You steal from somebody, you give it back. Okay? You hurt somebody, then you are punished in a way that's proportionate to the hurt that you did. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's an important justice principle. So we don't overstep that. We don't punish people extremely, disproportionately to what they did. And we don't let things go. We make it right. That's part of justice. Next there's a special concern for the powerless. So in the Old Testament, especially the poor, the widow, the orphan, the physically impaired, and the sojourner are given special consideration in God's law in matters of justice. Not preferential treatment, but special consideration. Why? Because it's harder for them to stand up for their rights. They don't have the means of standing up for their rights. And so the, those with more means and more ability and more power are called to intercede for those that can't stand up for their own rights. So that's a biblical concept. Uh, next is impartiality. So when it comes to justice, this is why we say justice is blind. Leviticus 19:15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. And then it goes on and we said from James, show no partiality. Okay? So you are whatever you're saying, this is what we are making this judgment based on. We're not going to defer to people based on whether they are poor or they're rich, we are going to be impartial in administering justice. And then next, this is the last key concept, is the importance of truth and due process. So this is an important understanding for justice in the Old Testament. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Or Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime Or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed, only in the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So this is talking about the due process. Okay, that it needs to have there needs to be evidence and it needs to be corroborated. Okay, so you can't just go flying off and making charges about uh, about people saying somebody is guilty of anything without evidence for that. And you need to be able to provide evidence and it should be corroborated. And in John chapter seven, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right. Judgment and I think this one is this truth and due process. This is really important for our own culture Because I think we are just a post post truth Culture we're a post truth society, but we still Are a moral society we still make moral judgments We still call things good and bad, but we don't have any shared conception of truth And so really the only shared conception of truth that we have is this feels true but the Bible would never admit evidence that it just feels right. This guy's a bad person because I feel like he is. Okay? And we, he's guilty of something because I feel like he is. Well, there's no evidence there. Then, then it would be unjust to carry out a punishment against him. Okay? And part of being in a post-truth culture and why we need to really value this of truth and due process, okay, of evidence trying to get to the bottom of something, is something else that we love in our culture right now is overly simplistic explanations of things. Okay, I was going back to that. The fast food answers to questions. We want fast food everything. And so we see stuff in the world, and what we want to do is we want to reduce the cause of that to one really simple thing, one really simple injustice, and then that be the thing that we are going after and doing justice. So when we're coming to these, these things, this is called a, a monocausal reasons for things happening. And so we see some disparity in some situation, and we say that's either only because of racism, and racism is, racism is bad, and so we're going to go after racism because this is the problem with everything. Or the dissolution of the family is the only problem here, and that's what's wrong if we can just fix that. We've got this monocausal thing, and what we're not doing is we're not considering the evidence. That life is complicated, and there are lots of factors that go into every kind of outcome in every situation in life, and so to be people that desire truth and due process is to say that we're okay with complexity, and we're going to try and track everything down. We're going to avoid the temptation to just boil everything down to the narrative that we like that makes us feel good and feel right with the world. We're going to desire truth. So that brings me to this last just kind of question that we can ask with relation to justice. What is injustice? So this might be a good place as you're having conversations with people. How are you defining injustice? This might be a really um, useful way to approach this because I think really this is where most people are off track. So I haven't talked about critical theory very much. If you want to ask about critical theory, you can later. Um, I will say this one thing about critical theory. and I'm saying critical theory because it's all critical race theory, critical gender theory. You know, it's all the same thing. Critical theory, I think that there's lots of things wrong with it the number one thing wrong with critical theory is it misdefines injustice. And it misdefines injustice because it says any disparity in outcome is injustice. So that means if somebody has more money than somebody else, that must be because of injustice. If it's critical race theory, that must be because of ethnic injustice. Okay? If it's critical gender theory, that must be because of you know, gender injustice. Okay? But it sees disparity in outcome, somebody has more, somebody has less, less. And it assumes from the outset, that's injustice, and it needs to be corrected. And then we need to take all kinds of coercive measures to correct that injustice. That's a bad definition of injustice. And if you start there, you're going to get to all kinds of weird policies and prescriptions for what it means to do justice, to correct this thing where you screwed up at the beginning, Okay? So how do we define what injustice is, is a really, really important question. And I'll let you answer it for yourself. So go back to our diagram so we can finish up here and get to some questions. Let's go to this blue circle. Mercy. Okay, And again, I think for our church, for me, okay, for me, uh, when we go back to this, these three parts, can we go back to that diagram? When we go back to these three, I think I spend a lot of my time where the yellow circle and the red circle overlap. But sometimes I kind of neglect this blue circle. And I need to scooch over into that blue circle. I need to remind myself that I need to be in that blue circle because because I can really have clear definitions. No, justice is what somebody deserves. And you don't deserve this. Okay, this is just you know, you've made your choices, this is where you're at, this is what you know. And I will be really, really clear about justice. Be really, really clear on my politics. Be really clear that I'm faithfully serving God all the while. There are people hurting around me. I'll be really clear about my definition of injustice. Look, I'm sorry that you don't have as much as this other person, but that's not injustice. But am I really sorry that you don't have as much? Am I going to show you mercy because you don't have as much? Or am I just going to kind of say, nope, let's talk about the formal and material principles of justice here for a minute. While you're here suffering in front of me. I need to be merciful. And Jesus, remember, couples these together. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. So let's talk about what it means to be merciful. What is mercy? So um, I'll, I'll kind of skip over this. There's, there's definitions that we could use for, uh, we could do the same thing that we were looking at. I will, uh, if we go to the next slide. Oh, Actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, we'll go back to that. Sorry guys, this all got messed up with the power outage. Um, here's the definition. What is mercy? So if we say justice is giving to someone what they deserve, Mercy is giving to others what they don't deserve as an act of love and grace. And Jesus says, be both of these things. Mercy is giving to others what they don't deserve as an act of love and grace. So again, we can go to the next slide. Here are some Old Testament ideas. Steadfast love is often translated uh, mercy in the Greek. Okay, um, We go to the next slide. You see some other words. Merciful, compassionate, to be gracious, to show favor. Now, this is interesting. Exodus 34, 6, this is what God says about himself. Our just God says, The Lord is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So he basically uses every word that the Bible uses about mercy to describe himself. He goes on to talk about how he is a just God. But he's also a merciful and gracious God. And we know this. We know this because he has shown us mercy. What did we deserve? Wrath. What did he give us that we didn't deserve? A savior. And he gave us everything in him. And so he's both just and merciful. And so we ought to be merciful. So let me get into some key concepts of biblical mercy and then we'll be done. only have a few of these. Mercy in the Bible begins with rightly ordered affections. If you were here when we went through the parable series and we did the Good Samaritan sermon, I talked about this a lot, that the Samaritan, it all begins with him having compassion, which is an affection. He sees this person that was hurting, and he wasn't cold to him in his heart, but because that's another person made in the image of God, he feels deeply for him and wants to help him. Okay? He's sad for him because he knows what it would feel like if he was in that situation. He feels sad for this person. And so it begins with rightly ordered affection, love. And so if you just lack that, lack that feeling of compassion in your life, maybe we start there. Next, mercy assumes proximity. So somebody can't feel compassion for someone that they don't see. Again, we talked about this with the Good Samaritan. It was that the Samaritan saw the man that was beaten in the road. He was close to him, and then he got closer so that he could see. He's got wounds here that I can dress. He's got this going on that I can provide for him. And so there are lots of people even in our city, in our neighborhoods that are hurting that we're not close to. And so I think part of being merciful is getting close. And remember what I said about pursuing diversity in our own church, pursuing fellowship with each other. When you're getting close to other people, you might learn about burdens and hurts that people have that you can become compassionate for. That you wouldn't have known about if you hadn't been in your house to tell you about it. So it assumes proximity next mercy often though not always overlooks one's deservingness this is the big thing in light of the gospel we didn't come to god and saying god i because of my merit deserve this thing from you the whole point is we didn't deserve it at all and god gave it to us and so we can look at other people around us that are hurting and we don't have to ask okay are, do they really deserve this though but just because we love them we're going to help them and do something good for them now i say not always I think Timothy is a good exception to this. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. So she's enrolled in help, mercy from the church, benevolence from the church, but she is qualified for that because uh, she is deserving in that way. When you're in the church, you have to make good decisions about how you're administering these things. But on the whole, it overlooks deservingness. Next, mercy is affection integrated with action so it's not enough to just feel sad for somebody that compassion isn't really compassionate until it gives life to action and this is what happens in the good samaritan this is what happens with jesus remember i told you guys this that every time you can read through the gospels jesus feels compassion more than anybody and every time he feels compassion it says he was compassionate it means something big's about to happen he's about to do something because that rightly ordered affection leads to action. And so it's not enough to just feel bad and not do anything about it. It's not enough to feel bad and then change the thing on your little Facebook picture that tells everybody that you feel bad. That's not, I'm going to say that's not any action. Okay? No, we, we reach in and we do something. God didn't just feel bad for us. He saved us. So compassion leads to action. But what kind of action? This is the next point. The Bible's not overly prescriptive about love. So what it means to do mercy is not really clearly prescribed. Justice is really clearly prescribed. What it means to be rightly ordered with God, to obey God's moral law, that that is clearly described. But what it means to do mercy to somebody? Well, there's so much room in that. God hasn't told us to do that. It's like a playground, right? The playground has the... The borders, you know, when you're in the playground and when you're out of the playground. But outside of that, you're not telling your kid, like, no, swing. No, you have to go on the slide. No, you have to do the monkey bars. It's like, man, have fun. That's how love is. God's told us where the lines of justice are. Within that, he's saying, man, have fun. Go love people. Feel, get close to people. Certain things are going to come up to you that you're going to feel compassionate for. Love them in that. But that doesn't mean that everybody has to. That doesn't mean that you have to say a Christian must. Just love. Go out and love. So it's not overly prescriptive. But lastly, it isn't optional. Mercy is not optional. Okay? So you don't tell your kid where they need to go play in the playground. But they're, if they're just standing there in the middle of the playground not doing anything, what do you do? Say, go play! Okay? The Bible's not telling you exactly how you need to show mercy And we don't need to bind other christians consciences to exactly how they ought to be merciful to people that are hurting but you need to be merciful and you need to be always trying to grow in this this is the commandment galatians 5 14 the whole law is fulfilled in one word love your neighbor as yourself and hebrews 10 24 let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works i love that verse stir up means to prod somebody like with a cattle prod And uh, if you've ever seen, like, cattle prods that they use today, they shock the cow, you know? And so we should think of ourselves. What he's saying is you come into church with your cattle prod, and you're sticking each other to love and good works. So think about that. The next time you show up on Sunday, that's your job, is to prod each other to love and mercy, to love and good works. And again, uh, I think this can just be something that our church can be such a light to the world about. Okay? Not, because we're, not because we're binding people's consciences, not because we're self-righteous virtue signaling, saying this is what we do, but because we are just a people that are so compassionate and so eager to do good works that whatever the world says, and they say, there's so much wrong with society, you say, oh yeah, well come into my church and see the ways that people are selfless, they're giving of themselves of their time, of their money, of their resources to love people that are hurting. Okay? Justly, faithfully, but where all of these things, okay, these, uh, these three circles again, that, that, that we would be a church that's right there in the middle. What a witness that would be. So let me pray real quick, and then we'll take a quick break, and then we'll do our questions. So God, I do pray that you would make our church more like this, that we would have a good understanding of justice, yes, that we would uh, be quick to um, defend what is a right understanding of justice against what is a false understanding of justice but we wouldn't do that at the expense of faithfulness that we wouldn't uh, be unfaithful to you that we wouldn't humbly walk with you and submit to your word and lord that we wouldn't be uncompassionate in that that we would be so merciful that we wouldn't uh, be trying to help people that are hurting to to be healed to be better to um, have new opportunities in their life That we wouldn't do that because because we have to out of some sense of guilt, but that we would want to out of a sense of love. And Lord, I pray that you would use this time for that, and that you would make our church more like that, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we'll take uh call it a five-minute break, and then we'll be back in here, and we'll do questions with uh, Ryan and Drew. And I'm just going to take off and go get some Thai food, so if they can handle it, it'll be, yeah, who wants to go? Um, okay, but we'll be back in five minutes, and then we'll do questions. Sorry, we were, we were talking about favorite Thai restaurants. Uh, that's true. <laughs> um, Ryan's making his way up here. You guys can come back and get your seats. So here's how this is going to work um, for the sake of the recording of this. We've got microphones here and here. So sorry if you don't like talking into a microphone, but that way we don't have to repeat the question as it's coming up. But um, now's your chance. So if you have a question, you can just make your way to one of these microphones, and uh, you can direct your questions at any of us or just in general and let me just encourage you you know any we're not afraid of any kind of questions that you can ask um, but maybe just screen yourself for your questions if it's something that is like weirdly specific and maybe would only be beneficial to you to get an answer on, well, then any one of us would love to take you out to coffee. But if you've got a question that you think would be generally applicable to everybody in the room, uh, that it's probably a question that somebody else is having, um, then by all means, please come up. Even if it's a question you already know the answer to, but you think I didn't explain things very well and that other people would just be helped by uh, more clarification, please feel free. So nobody's making their way to the microphone. That was me stalling as long as I could. (laughs) Okay, so somebody, please come to the microphone, and we can form a little cue if you want to.
1: Hey, Chase. Drew. As as Jordan's coming up to the mic here, can we just thank Chase for all his hard
2: work? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Jordan. Yeah.
1: So as uh, you brought up uh, institutional sin, uh, you said, uh, you know, it's kind of like a bunch of sinners getting together, so we shouldn't be surprised that there are some, you know, sinful policies or process that results from that right Mm -hmm. Um, how do you reconcile that and this is to anybody with uh, the plurality of elders and how that's actually a guard against uh, you -hmm. know institutional sin in the church uh, by a gathering of of wise individuals How how do we reconcile that
0: that's a great question I didn't see that coming. No, that's really good. <laughs> I was, yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. glad for that. I did I see it do.
3: coming because he warned me between sessions. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh.
0: So want, want me to take it?
1: Yes. Well, then you've had the time uh, to think yeah. about it. So yeah. can...
3: Well, I would say that, that no system, no polity is a fail-safe. Um, wasn't it Churchill who said that um, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others, and plurality of elders is the worst form of church government except for all the others. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's not a fail-safe. Certainly you can have a plurality, and that plurality goes uh, astray, um, abuses authority, etc. Um, uh, but it's more possible for one person to do that. Um, and it's not just a plurality. Uh, you think about this, when we bring people into membership, when we discipline someone and excommunicate them from membership, um, the church is involved in that uh, or even the appointing of new elders. We don't currently vote on that uh, as a church but we do solicit your input. Um, we, that's, we have a year of candidacy for an, an, uh, an elder candidate and, um, and then we especially make known the month before their appointment hey just want to put this out there before you again let us know if you have any concerns. So that's, that's not um, you know a way in which the, the elders are held fully in check and it could never abuse power, but um, there, there is a measure of checks and balances even within our system of plurality of elders.
0: Yeah, and even when we're considering, you know, a change in the bylaws or something like that, one of the, we trust everybody that's an elder right now, but one of the questions that comes up is, okay, is this setting us up, is this actually setting this system up to be abused when none of us are here anymore? And so we want to be wise in that because we know that there's a possibility, that there's always a possibility when you get Sanders into a room for somebody to abuse the situation. Yeah. Thanks for a good question. Yeah. All right guys, what else? Rick. Rick?
2: Well, it's not really a question, but I guess it would take a lifetime to go through this. Well we don't have that much time, just No, I so don't. Pick. But you know, that coffee That's right. Maybe Love some that. Thai food. Some but, fellowship.
0: There you go. Uh-huh. Okay.
2: So, first of all, coming from a different culture and coming into this church, you know, I mean, it, looking back when we first started, I'll, I'll just say it, there was white people. And you come in and, you know, you're one of the only. And I was raised as a Christian and in different churches. So I'm, I'm speaking for the other people that do come here from other cultures that you are set aside. You do feel different in some Mm. ways. And we've been through a lifetime of, me and my wife were talking about like, what's the word, Mm. the, the discrimination, but there's more words to it. And we have lived through that. And that's fine. Because going back to our country today, we're talking about history. History is good and bad. The church is good and bad. And that's where you grow. So we have been through it, and it's a good thing. It's a good positive thing. It's like, OK, we're going through it. Here's what the next thing, and expect it. So that's fine. And one thing I wanted to say is what Chase started out, given his history, who, where he was standing for, what his history was, what he went through, and then what he is now. I mean that that's a positive thing. That's good, and it's just there. And like I said, there's a lot of just comments, a lot of songs that would uh, drew put together that we're singing. We're talking about the nations, the nations coming together and coming to when we're all in one in Christ. And for some of you, you don't understand it. When those songs are sang and I'm singing them, it has more meaning. And there's times that I have cried Mm -hmm. because we're talking about the nations. We're talking South Africa. We're talking Guatemala, Mexico, you know, whatever. And, you know, I'll say it the Indians. Mm -hmm. You've got Navajos, Pueblos, whoever we are. We're all going to be in one in our own voices. With our own songs and our own dance and our own drum, but glory to God. Amen. 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 And I'm thankful for you, brother. Yeah. That's where it comes from. And then yeah. those songs are very meaningful. Yeah. So you you as a church, us as a church, we are a family. And we should be there for each other. No matter what color we are, where we stand, yeah. guy comes in with tattoos, you know, whatever we're there for each other, we are different, yeah. but we should be no different because we are serving the one God and we are still struggling through it and we should be there for each other. And yeah. I'll just kind of leave it at that yeah. because like I said, it'll be a lifetime. That's right. And there's yeah. a lot of lifetime that I would love to share, yeah. a lot of lifetime to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and you. Thank brother. you I'm all, all also yeah. as the family because yeah. you
0: are my family. Yeah. 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 Amen. Thank Thanks. You, brother. Thank you. Thanks. Brother. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And you know, that's, that's a great example too of what I was saying with patience and humility, um, wherever you're coming from to just, man, this is really, really hard at first. And how long have you guys been here? 15, 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. And just to tough it out for the sake of love, for the sake of the bride for 15 years. You know. That's a great testimony. And
1: I don't take any offense to the tattoo comment yeah. at all. Brother. Hey, just want you to know
0: you're welcome here. Oh, thank you. You're, you're welcome, welcome here. Appreciate that. Brother, you got a question?
1: It's Thatcher, right? Yes, sir. We, we just met.
4: Thatcher?
0: Yeah. Thatcher. All right, nice to meet you.
4: So uh, this kind of goes to um, what you were saying earlier about, uh, like, what are we allowed to say a Christian can versus a Christian can't and, like, how we're supposed to slash not supposed to say those things Mm -hmm. when I kind of wonder where your head's at when you say that because I'm confused because you know the Bible lays out very specific rules for Christians you know a Christian people in general but a Christian specifically is not allowed to murder you are not allowed to covet you are not allowed to commit adultery or you know in in today's world and I'm going to go ahead and say it You know, if you're a Christian and you're a Democrat, you can't do that because you're going directly against what the Bible says. You're voting for abortion, which is murder. You're voting for gay marriage, which God calls an abomination. You're voting for millions of people coming in and taking your stuff like socialism. Socialism is evil. And when you vote for that, you are literally, you, you are, Actively going against the Bible, so mm-hmm. I would say a Christian can't yeah. do that. Yeah. So, is there like a response to that? It,
0: can uh, yeah? You guys got some responses? Yeah. No, no. You you said it, so you yeah. you dig yourself out of that hole, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have yeah. So I very much appreciate what you're saying. One thing, maybe to clarify, and if we could, we don't have the slides. With the the triage, the three circles, what I meant to say was that center circle is where we say a Christian must. Or a Christian cannot, and so what so I agree with what you said the bible so so this so those first level issues you are those places where the Bible is very clear a Christian cannot murder, and so I would say extrapolating from that a Christian cannot uh, be involved in abortion right can't get an abortion can't provide an abortion, things like that um, those third order issues are things where there's not a you can't put a Bible verse on it that says so whether or not we should have an earned income tax credit or a $15 minimum wage. The, there's not a Bible verse on that. So you, you can't say a Christian must be for the $15 minimum wage because that's not as clear in the Bible, right? Now, what you're doing when you were talking about socialism and things like that is you're getting to some larger principles that might apply to first-order issues, right? And so you're saying, okay, there's a principle that—there's um, a, a biblical principle that the Lord loves a generous giver, or a, one that, somebody that gives freely. And I would agree with you, that was, that's why I'm not a socialist, is socialism is coerced generosity, which then isn't generosity, right? It's, so it's not love if the government will shoot you if you don't love people, okay? So that's why I'm not a socialist. So that's a good principle there in that, right? And so we can start doing some of this reasoning from what the Bible says, but there are issues that are just not as clear, biblically, and on those issues, we need to say, okay, this is a matter of justice. Now, with what you said about being a Democrat, that's a really interesting conversation that we can have over Thai food. Um, Here's the thing with who you vote for. You're not ever voting for one thing. Sometimes people, what they're voting for is one thing, But your vote doesn't only pertain to one thing. It comes along with lots of other things. Does that make sense? Whoever you vote for. And so when you are voting, you are trying to decide what, with these things that I'm doing, is the most net good going to come out of what I'm voting for. Okay? So I agree abortion is wrong. And I agree that I wouldn't use my vote to do anything that would, maybe make abortion more accessible or likely. But I could see someone in good conscience saying abortion is murder, but I see that voting for these other things would bring about more net good than the net harm that would be caused by that. That's a conscience thing at that point. That's a You're trying to decide based on matters of prudence what's going to be your vote is I think this is what's going to bring about the most good for my neighbors and for me but for my neighbors and it's complicated because we're not ever voting on one thing I don't think that you would say the Republican platform is sinless right so you are voting when you vote for Republican platforms for something that you don't think is what the Bible would have us do okay so it can't just be by that vote I'm doing something other than what the Bible would say because voting is complicated, politics is complicated and so again I would not myself say a Christian cannot vote Democrat and if someone said I want to I would say great let's get some Thai food and talk about that (laughs) and all of the other things let's do that it's called moral calculus let's do this moral calculus together it's like a big math equation with pros and cons in my mind abortion is a really really big con that I think it would be hard to fill out a lot of pros for but I would be open to somebody trying to Change my mind on that. I've been wrong before. Can I get you off the hook? Uh-huh. Because I think that's a really great
3: answer. Um, and yet, it's to a, the question that's not about race so much. We're We're, sure. we're doing politics right. and abortion. Yeah. And that would be a, its own yeah. seminar someday. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, so For the I just next wanna, guy. I just want to rather just, if, if you don't mind, move us on to uh, another question. It's a great question. I think a great answer. It's a big one. Uh, if you like Thai food, apparently he is selling it, <laughs> shoving it, it down it. people's throats. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That That's be thanks, thanks for you that. that. Yeah. Thanks.
5: I really appreciate the time that you took with us today. Um, my thoughts often run along those lines where you start with what is the definition of racism? What do you mean by this? And it's sitting down with somebody and having a really good conversation and getting into the meat of it. The problem is the taglines that make my blood boil, Mm -hmm. the, the, the people that can make a quick poster or a saying and get everyone so inflamed and upset. And when I'm talking with people Um, Where I have to say let's sit down and talk that's one thing, but I guess should we even care that sort of this Christian perspective of why the worldly definition of race has so much more complexity Mm -hmm. and that the gospel I'm a totally different person in the last few years since I found Christ and my views um, Far less liberal and yet I was able to see how God was inclusive, where I used to think Christians were very exclusive.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: And and opening that heart and seeing that acceptance is more than just a poster or a tagline. Mm-hmm. Should we even care about that? I feel like I want to write that. I want to be able to have a quick comeback mm-hmm. for somebody that's shouting that down, yeah. and yet You can't share your heart with them or god with them in Mm -hmm. a snippet
1: In a tweet yeah yeah Yeah. what sister what's your name debbie debbie yeah thanks for that question um i'll take a stab at it Mm -hmm. you guys can fix anything i miss Mm -hmm. or say wrong um yeah it's a it's a messy complex issue and i think you're talking about yeah just how we uh, the manner in which we have these conversations and i think chase alluded to that in the in the mercy section that that the manner in which we talk about these things really matters as as believers, um, so when you're when you're dealing with somebody I think you might have referenced in an online forum uh, those those just aren't the best places to have these conversations so to go back to your the first part of your question or first part of your uh, discussion on taglines uh, it's so it's so unfortunate that so many uh, of these political ideas and tensions get boiled down to a slogan, and that can be and that can be uh, just incredibly unproductive. Um, as, as Christians, as believers, we would all affirm that black lives matter. But just by saying that, it's, it's so it's so loaded, it's so weighted with the movement, not just that truth, that basic truth that we would all agree and affirm. So we we as Christians, we have to push back against that a little bit. We have to be okay with longer conversations. We have to be okay with not returning a slogan with a slogan. We have to be okay with um, possibly being misunderstood and having to have longer conversations as Rick talked about and take years to develop an understanding and trust where you can talk to somebody who is on the opposite side of an issue like, like the social justice B movement or Black Lives Matter or uh, things like that. Does that, does that make sense? We, have to, we, as, we as Christians have to be okay uh, with uh, using more words than what we can on social media. Yeah, I was thinking when you were giving us
3: principles, I forgot what section that was, but I thought, man, that almost all assumes not social media, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like that—that that doesn't exist in social media by and large, not universally, but by and large, um, and uh, and especially the patience and listening and that kind of stuff. It's it's just slogan gifts, uh,
1: tweets, Jeff, yeah. um, throwing. Hashtags, bombs. hashtags. Yeah, yeah. Why is a serpent, harmless as doves. Yeah. That, I think that really comes into play when we're having these interactions, and and online just isn't the the venue for it.
4: I think you might have answered my question, but I'm going to ask a little more directly, um, especially for the members of this church and covenant fellowship with one another.
0: With one another, is it wise? For us to participate, whether that either be just social media, changing your profile picture, or or letting some statement known on social media, all the way up to fully participating, you know, in public with social justice organizations, with or let me rephrase that, in organizations, whether that be right or left, is that wise for us to be engaging with?
1: Like uh, Leon, like a, a protest or a rally? Protest,
0: rally. Mm-hmm uh donations sure right or left i'm not i'm not even making it you know
4: on sure. one side just in general is that wise for us to be doing as members of this church
0: That's a really good question.
3: well i would say that they're not all created equal some are more problematic than others um so i i wouldn't say uh, we, we need perfect and righteous and saved organizations which obviously they don't exist God doesn't save organizations, but um, in order for us to be uh, connected with them in some way. Um, but, but I think some uh, maybe hold a nugget of truth surrounded by all kinds of falsehood and error and missteps. And I would personally say that about the capital B, capital L, capital M organization um, I think the, the good that it does is very small compared to all the other things that it, it teaches. And, and, uh, and so I personally wouldn't feel uh, right about going and participating in a march that was capital B, capital L, capital M. Uh, but again, I think it's, it really is based on what organization you're talking about. Um, I wouldn't say Christians should have no attachment to any organization because mm-hmm. they're all fallible. Uh, and neither would I say, yeah, anything that has a little bit of truth um, is worth you identifying with and participating in.
1: Yeah, I think if, if you were to ask me a specific instance, Leon, and say, hey, is it, is it okay for me to post about this? Um, I think my instincts would probably be no <laughs> and say, and say, who could you go to <laughs> sit down and talk to about this? Who could you actually have a conversation with about, uh, like Chase talked about, just go to coffee, have a, have a conversation, instead of plastering these these slogans out there well, wherever you land on these things um, yeah, that those can often just be uh, more combustible than beneficial um, but as far and I agree with yet yeah, Ryan on on there are certain there are certain organizations that are more problematic than others um, and we just have to we have to be wise we have to be careful about what we invest our time and money and energy in um, and so even a, a political rally a, a, you know a a pro a life rally, right? We would all get behind that. But maybe there's maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe there's there's maybe something there's a on.
3: weird pro life rally that yeah. you wouldn't want to identify. Yeah,
1: with. yeah. So we could we could probably come up with examples of of things all over the spectrum. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's that it's in that first order issue of must or must not yeah. that a Christian can ever protest. We're Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we we're protesting protest. all the time. <laughs> And, and, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't downplay the, uh, the Protestant nature of our Sunday gatherings and how that's a political rally. Every Sunday we come together to pro- make a political statement that Jesus is king. Um, and so that's, that's political in, in, in nature. Um, so, so if you're feeling that tension of, I need to do something, I need to speak out, um, c- come to church, hmm. come to the gathering. Speak out, sing out, proclaim it, and then take that with you to your
0: neighbor's yeah I love that you used the uh, wisdom is it wise to do this and I mm. so that's that's a good word when we're doing theological triage you know th- that the third order is a wisdom thing mm. um, I think of I was of Proverbs 26 4 and 5 answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself next verse answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes which is it Chase? right <laughs> there's a time for everything so wisdom is knowing in, in situations, then I would say why is according to what? Is this going to make me not be able to share the gospel with somebody? You know, I think that's it. So hey, it is right at 12 o'clock. We're happy to keep on asking questions. we got two, We're not we got gonna... two ready here. No, 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 no. don't no. worry. Hola. I'm just. If you needed to leave at 12 o'clock, it is 12 o'clock, feel free to step out. You can always email chase at com and I'll get back to you. But we'll, we'll stay here for a while. Um, so Rebecca, don't worry. You can ask your question. <laughs>
7: to circle back around to institutional um, sins and I was wondering to hear thoughts on what if any are biblical responses to institutionalized sins.
0: Do you have one in mind?
7: Um, I, Slavery would be a good one to look mm-hmm. at from a racial issue. Mm-hmm. Um, like as a society, this is a sin that we have perpetuated. Um, we fought a war over it, but mm-hmm. there's a large contingent of our current society that thinks that's not enough. Mm -hmm. And I suspect it might go back to your question of what is injustice, Mm -hmm. like what does it need to look like, but also be really interested in hearing your thoughts as to what does restitution look like? Mm -hmm. What should Mm -hmm. our society do because we have these sins ingrained?
0: Yeah, that's great. Ryan.
1: Um, Ryan, what are your feelings on reparations? <laughs> reparations, okay. Um, no, go answer her question. Answer. Yeah. <laughs> reparations, yeah.
3: So a couple thoughts. Yes, Christians should do things when there is injustice, and William Wilberforce would be a great example of someone who was courageous and strategic in England's, England's legislation to, um, to get rid of slavery, and he did so out of conviction, Uh, Christian conviction. Um, uh, I I could imagine, you know, someone being on the right side of um, the Civil War or wanting slavery to end in our country um, for theological Christian reasons and and doing their best to um, see it come to an end. Um, Reparation. So here's where I'm just going to punt and and point you to, uh, to Two resources uh, that have been hotly um, discussed, and at least in our circles of church world, um, there's been a book about reparations in favor of by Quan Duke, Duke, Quan. Duke, Duke Quan. Quan. I want to say Quan Doe, but <laughs> 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 uh, Duke Duke Quan, and um, I forgot the other gentleman's name who wrote uh, with him, but uh, Duke. Quan. if you just look up his name, you'd find it. So that's in favor, that's a, that's a PCA pastor in the D.C. area who is in favor of reparations. Uh, Kevin DeYoung is the other thing I have in mind, and he wrote a very thorough and, and I think very convincing um, response to it, critical response to it. So just my position would be, yeah, I, I think Kevin got that right, and I, I wouldn't agree with, with Duke on that.
1: question yeah Yeah, it's it's and and I'm
3: sorry to punt it but I just I'd rather just say see those things here's one argument for and here's another argument against um, both guys trying to um, interact with the Bible and think theologically
0: and uh, and it's a good question because right part of justice is retribution right punishment restoration things like that and so so it's not a bad question to ask okay there's an injustice it was a past injustice with lingering effects is there some level of restitution that can be made that ought to be made? Certainly would have said that should just never have happened in the first place, right? Um, I think another factor when you're doing restitution in these ways just to consider um, is is this solution that i'm proposing actually unjust in its own way? Is it going to bring about That's good. is it going to bring about more injustice is it going to bring about more harm okay there's never Life is complicated. I'm gonna say that over and over again. There's never just an easy, oh, this is, this is the fix, do this. Well, okay, what are the other consequences that are gonna come out of that, you know? And uh, so that's hard, that's a, that's a great question to sit down and talk about with somebody else.
8: So mine is not a question, but I'm just feeling some angst about part of our communication. And although I, I mean, I just think, especially considering the mercy, we always need to include forgiveness. And in our mm. conversation, even about abortion, yes, of course, as a Christian, you would not be in favor of abortion. Mm. But I think we need to be very careful to never have that conversation without including God's forgiveness mm. for anybody mm. who, mm. in any way, has ever participated, yep. has been in that situation. Mm. There are many people with many regrets. Yeah. So please let us always be sensitive and merciful, especially in that conversation, yeah. that God can forgive, and you are not not a Christian. If for some reason you've been involved with that, mm-hmm. God's mercy and forgiveness will always be there. Amen,
0: James. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you, for you for that. That, yeah. Thank, that is yeah. Yeah. such a good... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, and It's it, not the unforgivable sin. Um, and... Uh, and as you were talking, Gene, you just made me think of uh, critical race theory, just to bring up another hot topic. And Chase mentioned it, but to me, the, the largest fallacy of critical race theory and critical theory is the lack of, of forgiveness. There is no room for grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation, which only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring. And, that, and that's extended to any and all, um, no matter what, what sin uh, we've committed.
6: that's good i also don't have a question yeah (laughs) these questions are great but i want to tell you i appreciate you doing this because the church does need to engage the culture and we need a a biblical way to think about these things and then apply them so i'll give you an example i was once president of a semi-national corporations diversity council and i got involved with it because i thought well as a conservative and a christian Why can't I be in there? Why is it just give it over to them, Mm. right? (laughs) Yeah. And there was another Christian in the council too. He kind of felt the same way. We should be here too. And that was really fascinating, uh, a little disturbing in the way that um, it seemed to me their concept was that diversity became uniformity. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
6: It ultimately became let's just pretend we're all the same where I thought the purpose was to celebrate our uh, diversity. and For us Jews, it's always been like there's the Yehudi and there's the Goyim, that's it. There's the Jews or there's the nations, Mm -hmm. period. But then that's why I think it was so important you pointed out, it's not about race, it's about ethnicity, because Mm -hmm. Jews can say, well, yeah, they're the nations, Mm -hmm. but they're still created in God's image. Mm -hmm. And as a follower of the Messiah, I can say, well, now they're grafted into us. Now we're definitely, absolutely one the way we always should have been, Right. right? And now, I wanted to point something out our Indian brother over there. and We've had this kind of discussion. <laughs> so I think it's important he, he used the term Indian, like an all-encompassing category, but then said, well, but underneath there's subcategories, right? There's nations or tribes, and each has their own culture. Right? Just like I see, well, there's some um, brown brothers over there. But I can't say, well, they must be Native, um, Native African, American. I don't know that. I don't know if they're... Um, Peruvian, Brazilian, I don't know if they're yeah. Cuban or Haitian or Jamaican, and even if I say Africa, how many countries are in Africa, right? right? Yeah. Just like if I say, well, this church, look at all these people, they're all white. Yeah. Well, but I don't know their backgrounds, I don't know if they're uh, I- English, right. I don't know if they're Scottish, right. I don't know if they're Italian, I don't know if they're from all those various cultures with different histories and Irish. different, right? Yeah. I mean, so. Um, that's part of the real diversity yeah. It's not say, like me. Okay. People say, oh, when look at his skin. He's white. I mean, mm. I'm white. My parents would be shocked if I told yeah. them that. Right. Mm. Mm. And then yeah. I've never thought of myself as white, especially when we moved to this country and I had to hear, this is America, speak English. Mm. You no, know, I right. definitely wasn't white then. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. So that's part of the, the ethnicity right. that we can recognize and celebrate yeah. and then see the, the Unity and that we're all created right. in God's image, yeah. regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So again, yeah. thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's thank it's you. Really yeah, thank to see. You.
0: That's good. Yeah.
1: From one muker to another. I, I just wanted to, and I'll, I'll also like to
3: talk about diversity just for a second. Um, Chase, what I appreciated more than anything today is your definition and explanation of biblical diversity hmm. in the church because our society and our culture has taken that word diversity and turned it around completely mm-hmm. and we evangelical Christians are not diverse mm-hmm. you know we keep these people out we keep those people out so what i'm coming away with today is a better understanding of that biblical diversity mm-hmm. and the reality of it in our church and in our community mm-hmm. not the, what I'm seeing in the media, hmm. and and I'm not a diverse person because I can't mm-hmm. accept this person or this mm-hmm. group. Yeah. So thank you for that. Praise thank God, you. brother. Thanks, Thanks Marty. for yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Praise These God. Good
0: testimonies. Yeah. Well, I can go home now. Oh shamp. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind.
1: Yeah. Uh, just a, a quick question. <laughs> what do represent for the Tottenham uh, Hotspur. That's, right. right.
0: that's right. That's right. Hey, hey you be oh, quiet. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. Was just curious. Can you like, put your mask down, Luke? Uh, gotcha,
6: yeah.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, in your guys' lives, uh, when do you know
3: when uh, the time has come for you to turn off the news, turn off social media, and say, I'm going to go back to what the Bible says? Mm. Um, I think something that I'm often worried about is that I'll spend my life uh, talking about the details of political theories here and there, um, and at the end of my life, I'm going to look back and be like, man, I, I missed it. You know, mm-hmm. I, was, I was in the weeds of these things, and I should have just shared the gospel. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, what are you guys Yeah,
1: on that? I, I was thinking about this as, as Chase was talking, um, and I'm going to pull a Mark ever here. Uh, by a show of hands, we're all going to tell on ourselves here, raise your hand if you consume some sort of political talk, whether it's a podcast, uh, news, uh, radio talk, uh, or cultural commentary. If you consume, say, once a week, some sort of political Commentary. Okay. Um, how about once a day? Once a day. Okay. Oh, that's about half of us. Okay. Maybe not as bad as I thought it was. I would say we need to listen to more music. <laughs> like
0: a DSC album?
1: Yeah, that's it. That's all I got. That's it. That's
0: good. Somebody want to answer his question? Um, <laughs> 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 you know, this is, this is a third order issue. I got off social media Years ago, I haven't hurt at all for that. You know, I'm not missing out on anything by not being on Facebook. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do. I I like listening to to people talk. I, I might just encourage what you are consuming. Um, don't go for the Big Mac stuff. You know, the things that I like to listen to are people that are good thinkers, that they're good talkers. They invite a diversity of uh, opinions onto the things and they help me learn to think better to do that critical thinking and so I want to listen to that instead of the people that just get my blood boiling and you know make me feel really self-righteous because I have the right opinions and I agree with who I'm talking to but there definitely is a place where you just need to say and I and I do there's times I'm like man I have just been a news junkie the last couple of weeks and I need to tap out and listen to music more but yeah
1: is it is it bearing the fruit of the spirit yeah by consuming that or the opposite yeah. And I think that's a good test for when you need to maybe shut it off and yeah. listen to a good album.
3: Yeah, and I think you decide like what it, what it looks like daily, right? Mm-hmm. So you said, do you come to a point where you need to pull back? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm guarded daily on that. And um, every now and then I recalibrate altogether. Just, you know what? Um, I mean, I remember you know, during the pandemic uh i'm listening to podcasts about the pandemic <laughs> listen to pastors talk about the pandemic there's all the political stuff going on race issues going on and uh, i could just feel my anxiety like just weight growing yeah. mm-hmm. i thought i thought i had a heart attack literally um so I, that was a good that was a good reason to let don't go. get to whoa, that point yeah maybe, yeah maybe maybe the I line should. somewhere
0: farther back than that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. 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 That's and a word on that i think uh Thaddeus Williams in his book that Chase mentioned does a really good job of talking about reading reading well from both sides Mm. so listening well from both sides whatever whatever side you're on read the best um, from both sides listen to the best from both sides don't just stick your head in an echo chamber and just get all the confirmation bias all day long uh, and then get worked up at the others at them at the other side listen and read to the best and then assume the best particularly within the the, the household of God within the community of faith we have brothers and sisters in Christ that profess the true gospel but disagree with us politically we we
0: cannot villainize them we must not that's good so let me do this i see a question here if you are planning on asking a question please make your way up here so we can kind of get a feel for who's left okay otherwise we'll start landing the plane so. hey brother what's your name
2: hey, my name's Jonathan hey, John.
0: uh i uh uh, talk with Phil Ward. Oh, That's no. Uh, he, invited, oh, okay. he invited me. Uh, I right? see how it is. <laughs> is this Phil Ward's question? Did he say, hey, go ask <laughs> yeah, You're a plant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, not going to yeah. say something about the cowboys, are you? Because <laughs> Phil always... Oh, no. No, okay, good. Yeah, what's up? Um, so there is a lot of emphasis in critical theory about su- subjective truth, um, especially um, when it comes to people who are oppressed versus the oppressor. Um, and they,
2: how do you of
0: compare that with the you know objective truth of mm-hmm. scripture mm-hmm. and how, how do you compare this to yeah. make sure that you're because yeah. we were just talking the last question was about like looking at both sides yeah. right? but also at the same time we, there's uh, the sufficiency of scripture
1: so mm-hmm. you'll yeah. yeah, hear a lot about yeah. my truth exactly yeah and and, and personal experience
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah well critical theory does
3: pose itself as having objective truth, right? This is the objective analysis of race and power and um, hegemony and things like that. Um, but, but it's not very logical and it doesn't have a place for logic. In fact, they even say logic is a white man's construct.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. Um, to oppress. Yeah. Right, well, I, 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 as a Christian, I don't hold to that. I think God has revealed himself logically in creation and scientifically. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, so I, I think um, as Christians, our objective truth comes from the Bible. Um, we don't waver on that. It, this isn't my truth. Right. This is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean, therefore, I'm not interested in your story. You know, to go back to the listen and listen patiently and Try to understand. I think that's that's part of it. Um, that's part of being a, a, a Christian.
0: Um, yeah, but what we're saying in that is your story is not authoritative. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. Your experience is not authoritative. God's word is authoritative. So, like, to take it out of the realm of race, you know, um, if you are struggling with something, and another brother or sister in the church comes and say, hey, "I want to help you with that," well, you wouldn't say, "Well, you're not. You've never struggled with this like I've struggled, so you can't talk to me about it." And you say, well, it doesn't matter if I've gone through it. I have God's word. And you have God's word. This is what is authoritative and what we have in common. Now, yeah, there's there's differences in experience and nuance, and we can give deference to that, but not authority to it. And that's the problem with what you're saying, is that this view of critical theory says, no, my experience is what is authoritative. And truth that contradicts it just gets... And you should have no right to be able to speak to us as right.
3: a white yep. heterosexual, right. um, mm-hmm. yeah, a white able-bodied
0: middle-class educated yeah, heterosexual. Right. Except little, you you're know. trying to take God's truth right. in a, in and that's what I mean. Textualize. I know you us. feel that every Sunday. I know I do. You know, and stand up in the pulpit. I don't have any right to tell you guys anything. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I'm consider. not telling you about yeah. what I think. I'm telling you what the Bible says, yeah. and we can do that to each other, and then consider. Who we're talking to. Yeah, mm-hmm. great question. Good question, Thanks, Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. Is this
1: our last one? Paula? All right. Who's going to run the slides if Paula's asking a question? Uh-oh. <laughs> All
0: right, last one.
8: Um, so it is a question, but it's not super well formed. So I guess just, Chase, if you could flesh out some of the, I don't know if it would be tension or difference between the ethnic. Pride that you may have talked about and like the, the desire to bring those, those good differences mm. to the altar of God mm. and say, yeah. you know, like the, the, the things that we do well, yeah. maybe as a culture. Yeah. Mm.
1: That's a great question. It's like a good pride and a bad pride, yeah. almost. Yeah.
6: yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I think the easy way to kind of think about that is who's being glorified. Right? Like who are you? Who are you using this to bring honor to? And who am I? Who am I walking away from? Thinking more about. Right? So, um, yeah, there's something about my cultural heritage that is really beautiful, and um, and I want to share it, and I want to celebrate it, you know, and I want to I want to ch- I, I want to show people how important this is and how valuable this is, and I want them to see this and see this, but I'm doing that in a way where. It's like, hey, look at me and how cool I am. Or look at me and how special I am. Or look at me and how um, overlooked I am. And I really, I want this all to come back to me. You know, versus, I am no, I'm really offering this as a gift to the Lord. To be held up and say, look at how good God is that he saved even me. And brought me into this with, with this. And I want to use this to, to make much of Jesus. And to make much of his bride the church you know and some of that you can't see on the outside you know it's it's just what's going on on, on the inside for each person and I think we always need to be careful with that when we're um, excited about things or champion th- championing things that are even good things but am I actually doing this for my own glory I mean we do that all the time I do that all the time you know I'm always trying to make much of myself um, but just because a good thing can be used for a bad end doesn't mean it's not a good thing that can be used for God's purposes yeah that's a good one to close out on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ryan, will you pray for us mm-hmm. as we go? And then I'll be here for a while. Or you guys have my email. I'm happy to, to talk more. Um, but yeah, let's... You gonna get some Thai food after this? I really want some. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> go, to, go to Thai Kitchen, huh? Let's pray.
3: Oh, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the glorious gospel that reconciles us to you and to each other in the church Uh, we thank you for the unity in this church uh, for ways in which we see the gospel at work in our lives and in our relationships and we boldly pray for more of it lord we pray for more unity and love for each other more sacrifice and sympathy and understanding Um, truly lord to rightly rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and um, to grow in in sympathy and honor and in seeking truth together. Lord, help us. Give us wisdom in this um, crazy world in which we live. It is your world, Lord, but it's a fallen world, and um, sometimes um, it feels a bit dizzying. But we thank you for your word. We're thankful for your spirit, and we're thankful for um, the church and for this church specifically. And uh, we pray you'd keep us and sustain us and use us your glory, mm-hmm. pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you all for the, the time. Thank Thanks for being here.
5: Yeah, we'll see you.